You're listening to the Option Alpha Podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. Hey everyone, this is Kirk here again at OptionAlpha.com working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you guys make smarter trades. So thanks so much again for tuning in today. On today's show, we're going to be talking about casinos and why casinos spend on average of $45 every single hour to keep you in your seat. And many of you know if you've been listening to Option Alpha for a long time, but I use casinos, insurance uh, businesses all the time and kind of showing people how the numbers work and how the math works and just presenting concepts related to options trading. And I think today's talk is going to be a really good one. People always love when I talk about you know this concept and relating it back to casinos because it's something that we all know, especially if you're getting started in options trading. And then we're going to talk about later on the fallacy of doubling down and really the options trader fallacy that I see out in the market. And it's a really important concept because I think we've seen it even just you know in the last couple of months here at Option Alpha a lot. And it's the same reoccurring kind of disease that's kind of spreading through people. And I don't want you to fall for the same pitfalls and the same traps that other people do because it's going to end up really hurting you in the end. So today we're going to use casinos, but we honestly could have used insurance, real estate, many other businesses. In fact, the more research I continue to do, and I'm a big student of you know researching not only successful people, but also successful companies and brands. I mean, I literally don't read anything else other than you know, investing, trading, business, you know, personal development, all that stuff, books. Like I love all that stuff. I just I gobble it all up. And the more that I read, the more that I grow and understand, the more I even run Option Alpha and do our own trading and stuff like that, I realize that all businesses just have an edge and they play their edge, but it's a game of patience over time. I mean, you look at the most successful companies, the biggest companies, they don't do like some magical thing. They just do a couple of the basics really, really good and right, and they just do it a lot and they pay their dues over time. They have patience over time to let the business develop, to mature, to grow, right? And so today we are using casinos, but again, we could have used anything else. Now, in this case, I want to talk about why casinos spend money to keep you in your seat. Now, this is something that you guys probably know if you've been to a casino or obviously know about casino is that comps and offers are really what gets you back to the hotel. In fact, some research has actually proven that in Atlantic City, practically almost two thirds of their hotel rooms were given away for free. Now in Vegas, we don't have you know exact figures, or at least I couldn't find exact figures, but we know it's pretty significant. So you know, is it half, two thirds, maybe even more than that of all of their hotel rooms are given away for free. And the reason is, is because they just want to get you back into the seat. Now we talk about this actually on the live onboarding webinar that I do with free members is this concept of, you know, why casinos want to keep you there. And it's not because they want you to, you know, drink all their drinks and they want you to, you know, take up space and be in their hotel room. It's because they know that the longer you sit in that seat, the more you stand to lose because they're just going to keep getting 10, 20, $30 out of you at a time. Now the casinos know this and they still give you a ton of incentives, right? They give you free rooms, free tickets. In fact, most casinos, when I was actually searching this online, it's actually kind of crazy, but you look online and most casinos actually will give you a dollar amount that they'll, you know, like credit towards your player's card to actually give you money to start gambling, right? And you have to, you know, hit a certain amount in a certain, you know, time period or whatever. But again, they're just trying to get that habit or you really set that hook, if you will, 
to get you into the seat to keep you playing. Now, casinos realize that they don't have to beat every player every time. And this is really important because when we talk about edge, and this is where this whole concept really kind of comes together. When we talk about edge, casinos know their edge. They know their edge inside and out. They know exactly which tables are going to win, how often they should win over time. They know what the edges per game, per, you know, style of player, etc. And so they know that they'll always win. For example, on roulette, they'll always win like 5.26% of the time on all roulette bets that are placed over the year. They don't have to beat you or Joe Blow or, you know, Tom down the street or whatever. They know that it's just a matter of playing their edge over time and over lots of different players. When you actually look at some of the edges that are that are out there in the market, it's actually pretty incredible how the edges line up and, and some of these edges that the casino has. Roulette, five and a half percent ish when played right. Slot machines, sometimes 17% edge. In some cases, Baccarat, 1%, Craps, 0.8%, Blackjack, 0.5%. I mean, so we're talking about small, minuscule edges, but yet they know that this is going to play out in their favor over hundreds and thousands and millions of occurrences over time, right? So they don't care about you. They don't care about the next guy down the road. They care about all of the people who play. Now, how we relate this to options trading is we shouldn't care about this trade or that trade, right? Like, I don't care if my Facebook trade loses and my Twitter trade wins, right? Like we should not care. We should pretty much be numb to this. And I see a lot of people all the time that get so frustrated and so bent out of shape and so worked up about a losing trade. It's just one losing trade. And can you imagine what a casino would do if they had one losing you know, bet and then they just said, you know what? Screw it, guys. We're just going to close the doors, turn off the lights, cancel the show. We lost on that, you know, hand of blackjack to Joe Blow and, you know, we're done, right? Like, no, they know that it's just part of the business. It's part of the game. That's why recently, about a couple episodes ago, we talked about drawdowns in show number 75 because I wanted you guys to understand that drawdowns are part of the game. It's part of the system, but it's never going to kill you as long as you keep your position size low. Now, speaking of position size, something that we've talked about all the time on Option Alpha is this concept of uh, obviously small positions and keeping your position size small, which is something we've talked about for years. But that really comes out of, and really one of the foundational elements of that comes out of this fact of you know high probability trading, law of large numbers, et cetera. And you see that same thing play out in casinos. So what happens in casinos is that they actually have table limits placed on games. And you would think to yourself, like, why would there be a table limit placed on a game? And you'll see, you know, you can only go and you only place $20 at a time or $50 at a time, never more than that. And you think, why would they do that? Why would they want to limit how much money I can bet? What if I want to bet a million dollars on one roll? Well, the reality is, is that you are too risky for one transaction that high for a casino. They know their edge is over time, lots of trades, lots of hands being dealt, lots of bets. And so they they artificially limit how much money you can actually invest per hand so that you take your million dollars that you want to spend and you gamble it away 10 or 20 or $50 at a time. It's too risky for them to have one large trade that could go their way or not, but it's not too risky for you to spread your trades out over hundreds or thousands of hands and then let the numbers play out, right? So I think it's really interesting you know, that those concepts kind of align here too. 
All right. Now, when we talk about House Edge 2 and playing these out over hundreds of hands, let's actually you know, kind of talk through this scenario because I think this is really, really important, especially for people who are new to trading. Even if you've been trading for, let's say, two years, but you really haven't traded enough to see the probabilities work out. Uh, this is something, again, that I think is so important for you to understand. And it's basically that at any time between, like, let's say, one and your hundredth trade, anything can happen. I mean, like, that's really the result. And I'll link up in the show notes page at optionalpha.com show 83, a house edge simulator that basically simulates, you know, betting $5 in different games or $10 in different games and simulates percentages of win, lose, draw, et cetera, whatever. And what you see is that really anything can happen between your first trade and your hundredth trade. And I see this all the time. And this is what I was talking about earlier is that, you know, I get people who come to me and they said, Kirk, I've been trading for two years and it doesn't work. Right. Or I get people who come to me and then said, you know, I made 10 trades and I definitely see the light. I've doubled my money. And then I email them back and kind of crush their spirits a little bit. And I'm like, okay, well, you've been really lucky. You know, it might actually turn around a little bit here. But the reality is that between your first and a hundredth trade, anything can happen. You could be profitable 90% of the time, or you could be profitable 40% of the time. That doesn't mean that the system is broken. It doesn't mean that probabilities don't work. It doesn't mean that options trading doesn't work. It just means that you haven't played it enough. Really, everyone should be looking to get to about 500 to 1,000 trades as quickly as they can. Now, look, I totally get that it might take some time. And look, you got to be realistic about this. I'm not here to blow smoke up your you-know-what. I'm here to tell you this is what it might take to be successful in this business. And if you want to be in this business, because it's not a hobby, but you want to be in this business, then you realize it might take a couple months or even a year or so to really see success. Not that you can't see it earlier, but to really have enough trades under your belt that the numbers for sure are starting to work out, right? So it might take 500, you know, different transactions over the course of, you know, a year or two years. It may be different for you. You may be able to do a lot of trading during the the month or not a lot of trading during the month, but it's going to play out exactly the way it should over time. This is why I try to tell people all the time that are in trading and they have a setback or a drawback or drawdown. It will still play out over time. You don't know when your number is going to be called, meaning you don't know when your trades are going to hit. Maybe your first 20 trades could be losers. I'm not, I'm not saying, I mean, like highly unlikely, but maybe your first 20 trades are losers. That doesn't mean that your next 20 trades are going to be losers, right? Because you just have to let the numbers work out over time. And so I think, you know, just even going through like one of these simulators that shows edge and shows how the edge gets more defined as you get to, you know, 500, 1,000, 10,000 hands, at least in, you know, casinos. And we could, you know, use those same, you know, basically simulators for options trading. You see how the edge is just even more defined the longer you trade, right? That's why this is a longevity game. It's about keeping the lights on. It's about constantly trading, never succumbing to the market, right? And always playing your probabilities. Now, what I think is important about this too is that when we talk about edge and we talk about high implied volatility versus low, especially recently where we started to not shift our the way that we trade, but just add a little component to our trading after we've obviously done a lot of backtesting and we have our backtesting software now. So we've known for a long time now that the implied volatility is still a great trading vehicle even when it's really low, meaning you can still make money selling options even when implied volatility is low. But our edge is smaller when implied volatility is low. It's not disappeared and it's not gone. It's just smaller because the volatility is low, the option prices are low. So 
the amount of money that you can generate when implied volatility is low is less than when you can than the amount of money you can generate when implied volatility is really high. So again, this doesn't necessarily change the fact that we're going to, you know, either trade or not trade. It just means that when implied volatility is low, we are going to do smaller positions. We're going to do generally a lower allocation of our portfolio. When implied volatility is really high, we're going to scale into that type of opportunity, meaning we're going to do more contracts, more tickers, higher allocations of our portfolio because we have a better edge. Now, when you think about how a casino is actually laid out, and this is crazy to me because I looked up these stats at the end of 2016 as far as like casino revenue and where casino revenue came from. Casinos deliberately lay out their casino so that the most amount of games and opportunities for people to bet are in the games that have the highest edge versus there's a small section of pretty much every casino that has tables where their edge is really, really small. So like, let's take two extreme examples. For casinos, the edge is smallest in blackjack. Their edge in blackjack over time when played right is 0.5%. I mean, so we're talking about a small, 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 small edge, right? Versus a slot machine might be, in some cases, 17% edge, right? So they have a huge edge in slot machines. Well, it's no surprise that on average, 74% of a casino's revenue over 2016, and this is like all casino industries, 74% of their revenue came from slot machines. No surprise. You would think that it would be the big games because everyone sees people playing blackjack and craps and all that stuff. But nope, it's the slow grind of the slot machines. And in most casinos, their floor space is more than 85% allocated to slot machines. So I'll say that again. Their floor space in some cases is more than 85% allocated to slot machines because their edge is greatest. So again, we should take those same concepts generally and apply them to how we trade options. When our edge is greatest, we allocate more floor space, i.e. capital, position size, portfolio to that type of position because our edge becomes greater. When our edge is small, it's not that we don't do it. We can still do it and generate some money. And obviously, the other you know 26% of money from the casinos was generated not from slot machines, right? So we can still generate some money trading in low implied volatility environments, but we just want to be careful about it. We don't want to invest 5% per position, maybe half a percent per position, right? 1% at the max and have a few of them going at all times so that we have this low level, steady income stream coming from this, okay? So I think when you, again, really dig into some of these business models and why they do what they do, it's incredible to see the similarities in options trading. And not saying that, you know, you're going to be a casino, you have to run your business like a casino, but the concepts are still the same and can be directly parallel applied to how we trade options and how we should think conceptually about trading options in different market environments when we know that our edge is shifting and implied volatility is going up and down. So the last thing that we're going to talk about here today is this fallacy of doubling down and why it's mentally tough for people to recover from drawdowns. Now, this is something that I'm fascinated with. I mean, I can be totally honest with you guys. And not only this, but it's something I went through myself. So I've often said that my first week at home was a really bad week trading by myself because I broke all my rules. I tried to fight back the market. I you know, basically did everything that I tell people not to do and lost money. And 
I know now why I was doing it because I was trying to, you know, get the market back, like beat the market, right? Like I'm going to get them because they got me early on, et cetera. And this had this idea of doubling down on some positions, right? So the market moved against me. I thought, okay, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to double down on this because, you know, eventually it's going to go higher, right? Well, it didn't that week, or maybe the position went uh, lower, whatever the case is. I don't remember if it went higher or lower in some positions because I had a bunch on, but it's this idea of doubling down on positions or really trying to fight back the probabilities and numbers. Now, I see this all the stinking time. I mean, legitimately, I see this all the time. I see people before they do it, and I see the emails and the conversations that people have with themselves before they you know, go through this situation where they say, you know, I think I'll just, you know, add more to this position or I'll, you know, do another position in this security or another, you know, it's always like there's another many ways that they can say it, but it's always talking about doubling down, adding to the position, increasing their risk, you know, just for this moment, you know, asterisk, right? Not really Kirk, not forever, but you know, just this one time, I'm just going to, you know, double down on this because I think it's going to go higher. And it's really tough for people to recover from this because they don't want to lose money. But again, that's why we did show number 75 is just to understand what a portfolio drawdown looks like, how often it happens, how severe it can be, how long it might take to recover from that, and you'll still be profitable long-term. And so here's the fallacy that people have, and here's where it comes from. When you are basically making a trade and you're doing all these trades, right, you could make trades at 70% chance of success, and out of 10 trades, you could have nine that are losers, right? So you make 10 trades, 70% chance of success. Nine of those trades end up being losers. So you figure, okay, well, look, the next trade has to be a winner because the probability of having 10 losing trades in a row is like one in maybe, you know, 2.3 million. Well, I don't know what it, you know, what the exact probability is, but it's probably really high at that high probability level, right? So you think to yourself, okay, I've had nine losing trades. There's no way I'm going to have a 10th losing trade, right? It's totally unlikely to happen. Now, the problem with this reasoning, and this is what people always do, is they double down on it. They go, okay, you know what? I got to make some money back, right? I got to get the market back. I got to get back to square one. I've lost on these nine trades, so I got to, you know, double up, double in, whatever, you know, double down, whatever whatever you're saying is, right? I got to get back into this. The problem with this reasoning is that you're not looking at the chances of getting 10 losing trades in a row. You're looking at the chance of the next trade being a winner or not, right? So the previous nine trades have already happened and you're assuming that you're basing this investment off of just blocks of 10 trades in a row, which is not how you trade. This is the fallacy of doubling down is that you assume every 10 trades becomes a block of 10 trades in a row. But the reality is, is that's not about the probability of having 10 losing trades. It's always the probability of the next trade happening, right? The next trade still has a 70% chance of success, which means a 30% chance of losing. So if you double down on this, assuming, okay, there's no way that I'm going to have 10 trades in a row that are losers, you could again, have another loser and you lose even more money. And so what I'm here to tell you with this fallacy of doubling down and really where traders fail here is that you have to treat each trade as independent as you possibly can. There are trades that will make money and trades that will lose money. And the reality is, is that we have no idea where the market's going to go, how far, how fast, how aggressive it's going to fall or rise or whatever. It doesn't matter ultimately at the end of the day because we know our edge. And so each trade, as hard as it is, 
should still be placed like the previous train. It should be as robotic as possible because you'd never want to double down, increase your risk, try to fight and claw back against the market because I guarantee you'll lose when you try to do some of those things. Look, I did it my first week. I learned my hard lessons early on my first, first, first week. I broke all the rules. I tried to fight back the market and believe me, it burned me and I totally made a switch because I know that that's not how I wanted to trade moving forward. And so again, you can't look at you know a series of 10 trades or even 20 trades or so and say, okay, if I've lost on these, I'm going to win on the next ones. No, you still have to play the numbers out, keep your position small and let the system work, right? Have that patience that we talked about in the beginning of the show. So hopefully this was helpful in, you know, kind of going through some of these concepts. I know it was not necessarily an off-topic podcast, but I think it was something that was interesting and I want to talk about it because I think sometimes it's really hard for people to, you know, wrap their head around the options trading space, the investing space. There's so much going on. There's so much terminology and so many different ways you can do it. It's good to take a step back and think kind of broad picture, broad strokes, what our overall mission and goal is and how we can run this general business structure and think about this conceptually on a large scale. And now our favorite part of the show, Trader Q&A, where we ask a question from one of our current members about options trading. Got a question you'd like to ask Kirk to answer live on the air? Just head on over to optionalpha.com forward slash ask and hit the record button to leave a message. That's optionalpha.com forward slash ask. And now here's today's question. Hi, Kirk. My name is Steve and I'm from California. I've been trading for about 10 months and love your podcasts. I've learned so much from them and your website and recently became a pro member. My question is, how much dry powder should I have in my account to take advantage of rolling or new trades? Is it a percentage of my account size? Does that change based upon my account size? Thanks so much. Really looking forward to hearing your response. Hey, Steve, man. Thank you so much for submitting the question. And of course, thanks for being a pro member. I know we've emailed back and forth a couple times. And I think the simple answer to this is yes, you should have obviously dry powder. We suggest somewhere between 40 and 50% of your account should be left in reserve pretty much at all times. I don't think that there's ever a need to necessarily go over that amount. Now, I'll make this super, super specific in that if you're trading in a margin account, you need to leave more of your money allocated towards kind of dry powder, equity reserve, whatever you want to call it, because margin can go up very, very fast. Now, at least at the time of the recording of this podcast, we're looking at the VIX around like 11. So the VIX is really low. And many people who have traded have never been through or haven't been through yet because eventually it'll happen, a period where the VIX is going from 40 to 50 to 60, et cetera, higher. And during those periods, you can see margin, you know, go up by two, three X in some cases for positions, meaning you need a lot of capital available just to keep positions that you have, right? The positions may never be going against you. It's just that the margin has expanded and gone against you. And you've got to keep that margin available to hold those positions. So I think with a margin account, you definitely want to have a little bit more money in there because you want to leave more room for this expansion. Now, if you're trading in an IRA or retirement account, or you can only do risk-defined trades, you could go a little bit higher. So now you could go a little bit higher in allocation, meaning lower capital in reserve, so 40% reserve versus 50%, because your positions are risk-defined. You're not going to have expansion of margin since everything that you're trading is covered as far as risk. 
So yes, you can go a little bit higher in that case, and that would help increase the number of trades that you have, the premiums that you collect, right? But you still want to keep some money in reserve because it might take more capital to adjust a position, or it might take more capital to get into the next trade when implied volatility is higher. So I don't ever think that you should go really below like 25 or 30% as a broad, like, you know, like that should always be in reserve at the bare, bare minimum. But I think if we can always keep it around 40 to 50% in cash reserve of your account, that's the important thing. Now, one quick final note on this is that I'm talking about reserve of your equity account, meaning your actual net liquidity, not how much you are available to borrow in margin. So some people often email me and say, okay, if I've, I've got $10,000, but I have, you know, $10,000 I can use in margin. Do I keep, you know, what do I keep it off of? The $20,000 in total? No, you keep it off of the $10,000 that is the money that you put in your actual liquidity if you were to close your account. So in that case, you'd try to keep around four to $5,000 in cash reserve in your account. And I know for some people, it might be hard to do trading like that. And it might take some time, like we talked about on this podcast, to let the numbers play out, to get to a lot of trades. But look, this is a business. It's not an overnight hobby. And so if you want to be successful in this business, you have to do the right things. You got to play by the rules because if you don't, it's eventually going to come back and burn you in the butt. Now, remember, if you'd like to get your question answered here on the podcast or live on Facebook and Periscope in the future, please head on over to optionalpha.com slash ask, click the big red record button in the middle of the screen like Steve did, and leave me a private voicemail. There's no software to download or install, and it's incredibly easy. Now, before we get into the closing bell segment, I want to let you know how you can get our uh, your hands on our special freebie today, and that's our seven-step trade entry checklist. Now, people always ask me all the time, like, what do you go through before you make a trade? Well, I put together this very simple, very easy to understand seven-step trade entry checklist, which helps you get out of bad trades early. So step one, step two, step three. If step three or four doesn't work, then you're out. You're on to the next trade before you even go to step four, five, six, seven, right? So it helps you save time, execute trades a little bit better, keep your position size in check, all the things that we need to do to be successful. Again, it's completely free and you can get it by going to optionalpha.com slash seven steps. That's just the number seven and then steps or by texting in the word seven steps. So the number seven S T E P S to the short code four, four, two, two, two. So again, you can just go to optionalpha.com slash seven steps or text in the word seven steps to short code four, four, two, 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 and we'll send it right back to you via email. Now the closing bell, find out which stocks we're looking at right now. Trades we're making and hear our game plan moving forward. All right. So in today's closing bell segment, I want to talk about a new position that we're getting into here in GDX. Now, truth be told, this is an existing position that we're adding to. We already have a position in GDX for January. We're adding this new strangle into our position in GDX and basically laddering into another set of strangles, something that we like to do all the time. And this is, you know, one of the ways that you can gain a lot of occurrences is instead of doing you know, one big trade of 10 contracts, you know, break that down into smaller bite-sized chunks. So, you know, five trades of two contracts or whatever the case is so that you can continue to increase the frequency of your trading and hit those higher numbers much quicker, which is something we talked about in today's podcast talking about casinos. So in the case of GDX, we already had a current position, already had a strangle. We're adding in another strangle with a 70% chance of success. Again, what we're doing here is no different than all the other trades. 
We're just simply finding the 15 delta calls and 15 delta puts on either side and selling those. Now, at this time, the time that we're doing this recording, GDX is trading around 21 or so. So we're going to go up to the 23 calls on the top side and down to the 19 puts on the bottom side and sell each of those to collect a $53 credit for this trade. It gives us about a 70% chance of success, probably a little bit more than that once the numbers actually play out, but it stacks on top of our existing position. Now, if you're an iron condor trader, or if you're somebody with a risk-defined account, meaning an IRA or retirement account, all you're going to do is look to also purchase options further out than our strike prices to create an iron condor. So in our case, we sold the 23 calls, which were above the market. You might look to also purchase the 25 calls to create a credit spread on the top side. When we sold the 19 puts, you might also look to purchase the 17 puts to create a put spread on the bottom side. So you can do this in a risk-defined account and kind of mimic some of the trading strategies that we have. It's still going to have a 70% chance of success. You'll take in slightly less in credit, maybe about $48, $49. So a little bit less in credit because those options are pretty cheap right now, but you also have less risk. So the credit is obviously reflective of the fact that you're not holding any margin in this trade and it's just a $2 wide iron condor on either side. So still a really good trade. Last year, 2016, we had no losing trades in GDX based on probabilities and math and numbers. I bet and pretty much guarantee that at some point we'll have a losing trade in GDX, right? But last year was a really good year trading GDX and the whole precious metal sector for us. So we're going to keep that going and keep you know playing some of these markets that have worked out really well and pricing continues to be very good for GDX moving forward. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. All right, now I truly hope you enjoyed today's show and got at least one thing out of it that you can apply right now to make you a smarter, more profitable trader and investor. As always, you can get additional resources, links mentioned in the show, and some related video training from today's show by going to optionalpha.com slash show 83. Again, that's just the number 83, optionalpha.com slash show 83. Until next time, happy trading.